Welcome to the very first episode of the Legal Gist podcast, a podcast that gives you the gist of the journeys of diverse legal leaders and provides insight on how to navigate your own legal journey. My name is Giselle Valdez, and I will be the host of this podcast. I am a 1L at Columbia Law School, a proud Latina, and I founded the Legal Gist as an online platform on Instagram and TikTok to increase accessibility and diversity in the legal profession by sharing affordable pre-law resources and guides. This podcast is made possible by the Davis Polk Leadership Initiative at Columbia Law School. I was chosen to be a recipient of the initiative's innovation grant. With this grant, I will be hosting this podcast that shares conversations with diverse, leading law students and attorneys. For each episode, followers can ask questions via the Instagram platform, so be sure to check out the announcements there. For our very first episode, we will be featuring a leading Black woman in law, Vanessa Jackson. Vanessa Jackson is a partner at Davis Polk and Wardwell LLP in New York City, practicing in the finance group. She represents borrowers and lenders on a broad range of finance transactions, including leveraged and investment grade acquisition financings, spinoffs, debtor and possession financings, and exit financings. And don't worry, we will go through what this means later for our pre-law audience. Vanessa joined Davis Polk in 2012 and was elected partner in 2019. She received her BS in economics from Duke University in 2009. In 2012, she received her JD from Columbia Law School, where she was a Harlan Fisk Stone Scholar and served as managing editor of the Columbia Journal of Race and Law. She serves as co-chair of the firm's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, DEI, and is a member of the firm's Black Affinity Group Steering Committee. Vanessa is a vocal advocate for the firm's efforts relating to the advancement of diverse lawyers, the promotion of equitable systems, and the fostering of an inclusive culture. Vanessa has been profiled in multiple publications, including Law.com and the Black In-House Council 2021 Annual Report, to, to discuss not only her practice, but also her efforts to increase representation and ensure equitable access to opportunities. In 2022, she was featured in Savoy Magazine, where she discussed what characterizes DEI at Davis Polk and the firm's recent recent DEI initiatives. The Partnership for New York City named Vanessa to its 2022 class of David Rockefeller Fellows, and Crane's New York business named Vanessa to its 2022 Notable Woman in Law list. In February of 2022, Vanessa was named among Savoy Magazine's Most Influential Black Lawyers. IFLR 1000 also named Vanessa among its Women Leaders 2022 in the Americas. We are so excited for Vanessa to be our special guest for the very first episode of this podcast. First, I want to start at the beginning of your legal journey, Vanessa. When and how did you decide that you wanted to go to law school? 
Thanks, Giselle. And I just want to say how excited I am to be here with you today. I'm incredibly uh, inspired by the work that you're doing, and I'm uh, honored to be your first guest. Um, for me, honestly, my journey to law school was sort of typical in that um, I, I always wanted to be in a profession where I could affect change and have an impact in some way or another. I didn't come from a family of lawyers by any means, so I didn't exactly know, if I'm being honest, what a lawyer could do or how many different avenues going to law school could open for me. Um, but I viewed law school as an opportunity to continue exploring what I was interested in. Um, growing up, I grew up in outside of New York City um, in the suburbs in Westchester County. And it was a predominantly black and brown neighborhood. And honestly, a lot of my experiences with lawyers initially were not always in the best light, um, whether it was family members or friends that had gotten in trouble. Um, but I knew that lawyers could be really influential in families' lives. And I, I think part of it for me was just going to law school to explore that a bit further. Um, again, that, that's certainly not how where I landed as a corporate finance uh, partner at Davis Polk, but that was sort of the beginning of my journey. Really interesting to hear about you know, what your introduction was in, into the law and, and what made you motivate and decide to enter into this field. While you were in law school, what was your favorite part of law school and what were the most difficult aspects and how did you overcome those? imposter syndrome has always been something that, you know, before I knew that there was a name for it, um, I certainly think that I um, have dealt with all of my life, whether it was when I transitioned to a private high school, then going to Duke, certainly going to Columbia Law School, and even starting my career at Davis Polk, or frankly, even in everyday um, experiences that I have now, I've sort of always felt a little bit out of my element, certainly out of my comfort zone, and just having feelings of, of self-doubt. Um, can I do it? Uh, am I built for this? Everyone else is so much smarter than me. Everyone else has had all these other resources and tools provided to them, you know, probably from very young ages. And I just felt like I was a little bit behind. Um, and that's certainly true of my experience at Columbia. It was by no fault of the, the school or the professors or, or my peers. It was certainly something that I was just dealing with on my own. But I'd say, you know, while that's not a very um, specific answer, it was something that I dealt with throughout my time at Columbia Law School. Um, it was super challenging. I found the professors to be incredibly engaging. I mean, I, I, I had classes that I just, I, I recall like vividly just how I felt being in, in them and how exciting it was and how I knew I was really around people who would be at the top of their field uh, in, you know, 10 or 20 years down the line. So it was incredibly awesome, but also just incredibly scary, if I'm being honest. I didn't, I didn't always know if I could fit in or if I would hack it. Um, that being said, my favorite part by far was the mass incarceration clinic. Um, as I mentioned, I, I sort of grew up around, um, you know, 
dealing with friends and peers who were in and out of trouble. And it always seemed like really minor offenses that were getting them in really serious trouble. So I've always been interested in um, criminal justice, mass incarceration, um, recidivism rates, and honestly, sort of just the reintegration into society when someone gets released from jail or prison. So when I saw that Columbia Law School had a mass incarceration clinic, I was just fascinated by it and immediately drawn to it. And it was certainly the highlight of my career, just learning more about it, seeing how I could be impactful, having your first client as a law student, I thought was super cool. Um, So it was an incredibly rewarding experience. I want to quickly touch back on that on that point upon imposter syndrome. And I was wondering, what were your strategies now? throughout your career that you have learned to overcome that. I know that's something that I grapple with, a lot of women of color grapple with. And I was wondering if during law school, there was a strategy or or after that's helped you navigate handling imposter syndrome and, and overcoming it. It's a really fantastic question. And my answer is twofold. On the one hand, um, what I've, how I've learned to deal with imposter syndrome is to actually, and this might sound counterintuitive, but it's it's not to reject it. It's not to try to tell myself that it's bad or, you know, because I'm dealing with it, that there's something necessarily wrong or I won't be able to achieve my goals because I, I have that sort of feeling. I've actually learned that I do my best when I am my most authentic self. And I just, I, I think that 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 little voice in the back of my head or whatever it is that has sort of always nagged at me saying, oh, I'm not sure if you're if you're good enough. I'm not sure if you're smart enough. It's 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 a very it's a very real driver for me as well in terms of pushing me to work hard, um, pushing me to be as well-rounded of a lawyer uh, as I can be, or as a student, um, when I was in high school and college and law school. Um, so I, I wouldn't say I embrace it because it's certainly not something that I, I love about myself, but it, it is part of me and I'm very aware of it. Um, and I really think it's been helpful for me, frankly, in parts of my career when, when I have those little moments and maybe my peers were getting a little comfortable or a little lax in their approach, I stayed really hungry um, and, and hungry for success, hungry to learn, hungry for, for whatever. Um, and I think it really honestly helped me to accomplish my goals, to be where I am now, to be a partner at Davis Polk. I mean, that was never my dream. I didn't even know what that meant or looked like. I didn't even know what Davis Polk was. It's it's something that I I do work on it. Um, I actually have two executive coaches, which are and they're sort of in different realms of my life. One is just strictly professional, and one is sort of trying to not balance because I don't like that word, but trying to juggle between um, uh, work and life. And they've been really helpful for me in sort of pinpointing when I'm having moments of doubt, when I'm feeling. Um, like that imposter syndrome voice is just too loud. What do I do with it? So they've been super helpful for me in in sort of channeling that into being something that I can use as a productive um, uh, sort of source of of energy, if you will, rather than it being a negative. So hopefully that answers your question. 
so inspiring to hear, you know, with your incredible legal journey, what you've learned and the strategies and approaches, I think, especially thinking about the executive coaches, but also how you just manage that little voice in your head and embracing it to make you stronger. And I think you're right that a lot of women of color would say that they quote unquote deal with imposter syndrome. It's one of those things that if you can view it as, a, as an asset, if you can use it of like, you know what, this is just something that I'm going to use to make myself, you know, an even better lawyer, an even better mom, an even better friend, whatever it is. Um, I don't think it has to be negative. And, and it took me a really long time to get there. Um, and I'm still working on it. It's something I, I focus on a lot. Um, even to this day, but it is something that I don't think people need to view as if you're dealing with it, that somehow you are, you know, not going to achieve your goals, because I definitely don't think that's the case. Thank you for sharing your strategies on that, because I think that's also helping me as I approach 1L and I'm sure other aspiring law students to think about reframing my imposter syndrome, as you said, as a driver, as, as a positive. I know you touched on, you know, that you never saw yourself being a partner at, at Davis Polk and that you weren't sure or not, or you didn't know beforehand that that was something you'd be interested in. Um, so I'd like to shift to that and, and talk about when and how did you decide that you wanted to work in corporate law and, and how did you decide on your practice group to then become a, a corporate finance partner? Yeah. So it's, it's funny when I think about my story, it, it sounds linear in the sense that I went to undergrad, I went straight to law school, I went straight to a firm where now I am a partner. And, you know, it just sounds like a sort of classic linear story. For me, it was so much more tumultuous than that. And I had so many highs and lows professionally and personally throughout the years um, that it, it, it feels anything but linear. I, I will say... I give a ton of credit. I'm not sure if you're familiar with a program called SEO, um, but it, it's an organization that um, it's it's quite it's quite vast now in in terms of the industries and you know the regions where where they place students. At the time, in 2009, when I had just graduated from from Duke. Um, it wasn't as big of a cohort of students, but essentially the the program places students of color in top tier law firms. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be placed that summer as an intern at Davis Polk. So honestly, Davis Polk was my first taste of law firm life. Um, and, you know, I was fresh out of college, so I certainly didn't really know what was going on. But I was so intrigued by the sort of sense of collaboration, the hard work that was clearly going in, um, uh, that was clearly happening among the lawyers, the, just the sort of relationship and the mentoring that felt really palpable between the partners and the associates. I was just very interested in it. Again, I, I didn't, despite having majored in economics, which some might think is a logical transition for finance, it's it's really not. I had to learn everything sort of on the from the ground. Um, which was great, um, but you know my economics background I wouldn't say helped me at all in 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 the the practice of finance law, um, but I was just excited by it. I was excited by the idea that someone that looks like me, where you know frankly there's not a lot of black women in in the the legal industry at all, but certainly in in sort of the 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 law firm life. Um, 
someone like me had an opportunity or I wanted to have an opportunity to see if I could succeed, to see if I could, could, you know, try to change the, the face or the trajectory of other people that looked like me. Right. But I've, you know, I've always been a firm believer that your mentors and your sponsors don't have to look like you or have your same story in order to be a mentor or a sponsor, but it, it's helpful, right? It's helpful when you see someone that looks like you or someone who you connect with outside of just your interest in, in your profession, having succeeded and having achieved a goal that you're interested in. I mean, it's certainly an added plus. So there weren't a lot of black partners in the industry. There certainly weren't at my firm. So it definitely felt really daunting um, over the years, but it was exciting too. And, And, you know, what's interesting is that Throughout my career, there were there were moments. There were, like I said, there were peaks and valleys. But when I was in a place where I wasn't sure if I could do it, where that 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 voice I was talking about was being really loud and really negative and sort of making me second guess whether or not I could I I was cut out for it. For me, it was the fact that the firm rallied behind me in those moments, right? It was sort of, it was it's hard to explain almost, but you know, and I was very um, close to certain partners throughout my career when I was having these moments of doubt or frankly, even looking for other jobs. I've spent, you know, many times over the years as an associate at the firm, looking for other jobs, considering other opportunities as I think, as I think is healthy and, and people should, you know, make sure that they know what's out there and how they can speak during an interview and, and work on those sorts of things. So I think it's good, frankly, when associates do that. Um, but at any point where I got another opportunity, I, I would have really candid conversations with, with partners at the firm. And I was always just so amazed by how much they rallied behind me, how they would talk to other partners and, and they would want to take me out to lunch or just see what I'm thinking, what I was feeling, what I was going through. So it was that support, honestly, that I didn't always know that I had um, and frankly was really surprised by a lot because, again, I just felt like a fish out of water. Here I am, this this black girl from, you know, a suburb in, in New York that had no lawyers in her family, but for, but for one aunt um, and my older sister. But, you know, my sister and I were sort of figuring this out all together. And it was it was those moments when the firm really rallied behind me and showed its support that I was like, you know what, maybe I can do this. So I think those feelings of doubt um, honestly helped me get to where I am because it showed me that I had the support and the, the resources that I needed within the firm to, to make it to, to be a partner. So interesting to hear, you know, specifically how Davis Polk supported you, but then also, as you said, you know, during, there's going to be those, those moments of doubt. And I think that's something that everyone grapples with, whether it be deciding on even going to law school. I know I had the same questions of doubt, but as you said, finding the people that will rally behind you and support and uplift you, um, to, you know, to get to this incredible place where you are today, it's an incredible lesson and, and note to, to keep in mind. So for our pre-law audience or even the law school audience, I know myself, I actually also was an SEO law fellow too, which was my first introduction into corporate law. And, and now I'll also hopefully be pursuing that for the upcoming summers and after graduation. Um, so it's also great to hear, shout out to SEO, the community that it creates, um, because I didn't know anyone as well in, in corporate law or what that even looked like other than you know watching TV about it or, or films. 
But one thing that I kind of learned once I was at the firm, and I'd be interested to hear your take on, is just learning about the different practice groups. And there's a lot of vocabulary that because I did not have a finance background or you know, corporate attorneys in my family, I was learning. I remember I was working on private funds matters. And I was like, you know, what is this? What does this involve? Um, so I know for, for your matters, I think for a pre-law audience, they'd be really interested to hear what is the gist or if you had to kind of nail down what is your role as a, as a corporate finance partner at Davis Polk and the matters you work on, how would you describe it? I'm actually really glad you asked it because I knew nothing. And when I joined the the group, we called it credit. We just recently rebranded and started calling it finance just a couple of years ago. Um, and actually other law firms call it other things, debt finance, banking. So it's a really good question because, you know, when you and I always speak to, to law students or even, you know, if I'm speaking with high schoolers, if you look at a law firm's website, it can be really hard to figure out, to distinguish between firms. Do they do the same thing? They all sort of say the same thing on their website. So um, one sort of tip I always give is when you're, when you're speaking with someone, just ask them, like give them, you know, give them the space to give you the 30 second overview of what they do. So I'm really glad you asked. So um, at Davis Polk, we do call it finance. And if you really, really boil it down um, to the bare bones, it's a bank making a loan to a company. And that's sort of literally at its most raw, that is what it is. Now it gets really tricky and when you turn when in terms of well, you know, what is the loan? What are the what is the money going to be used for? Is it going to be used for an acquisition? Is it going to be used um, just to help the company survive? Um, but it's those sorts of structural questions that make it really interesting, but also quite tricky. Um, uh, I generally represent the banks or, you know, the, the entities that are making the loan to the company. But I also have a number of, of corporate clients, which is fun, right? Because as a bank, they're in the industry of making a loan. So for them, every deal is sort of regular way. Every day they're making more and more loans. But when you're representing the company that's borrowing the cash, that's typically, an, um, it's often an exciting event for a company. They're not always borrowing money. They're probably borrowing money because they want to do something maybe transformative for their business, or maybe they're not in a good financial position, so they need the money. So in, in, in both of those situations, the borrowing of the money is a really important, exciting event for the company. So when you get to represent a borrower, you really get to know management, you get to know the treasurer of the company and, and understand his or her life. And it, it feels a little bit more personal, I'd say. So I do very much enjoy representing borrowers. But you know, really at its nuts and bolts, if the company needs cash, which all companies do, um, I negotiate the documents for helping them get that money. Thank you for, for sharing a very clear gist of, of what these positions look like. Because as you said, I know in, in my research and exploring, you know, practice groups, what I would be interested in in corporate law, there's so much different vocabulary and it varies firm to firm. So thank you for sharing um, the gist of what you do and, and what excites you about it. Um, so in terms of thinking about a student who's interested in corporate law and doesn't, doesn't know where to start, what advice would you give a pre-law student or a law student interested in this space, um, especially one who you know, identifies with you in, in terms of their background? My advice is sounds funny to me because it's 
it would have been very hard for me to take as, as a sort of pre-law student or even a law student. But honestly, it's to go to the events that law firms are hosting, your schools are hosting, if even in high school, if it's like a mock trial, um, or, you know, if they, if there's like a career day, certainly in law school, there's so many opportunities where firms come and they do panels on topic X or topic Y, or even the social events, the networking cocktails, go to them. Um, which might sound really obvious, but for me, I was, I, I wouldn't call myself an introvert, but putting myself in those environments was, has never been easy for me. Um, and, but, but what I've learned now being on the side where I'm going to law schools, I'm going to, to, to high schools, I'm speaking to, to, you know, future lawyers. If you'd be amazed at how one thing you might say just can, can resonate with, with someone in the legal industry. And honestly, I've, I've, I've met candidates who didn't even know that they were going to go to a law firm route, but when I saw their resume come through the door or our recruiting department said, Oh, Hey, Vanessa, this, this woman said she met you at some event a few years ago. I immediately make a connection and that can be so helpful for just getting your foot in the door, right? Even if you don't have the most stellar grades, maybe, you know, one class or a couple of classes um, just didn't work out the way you would have wanted it to. Having those personal connections can, is, you know, are, is so invaluable that um, uh, you might not even know it. Right, just having a simple conversation, something personal about yourself, just could, might really click with the person you're speaking with, and it can really help you down the line. So, you know, if, if that's pushing you out of your comfort zone, I would just encourage you to do it. Go to those events, meet people, ask people. Like I said, hey, what do you do? Um, are you a litigator? Do you do transactional law? What does that mean? I mean, just how you mentioned private funds, I'm sure most people don't even know what private funds are. So. You know, you see, you might see it in the newspaper, these big names, these big private equity firms raising all of this money, you know, ask, like, what are they raising money for? Where, where is the money going? How is it being, um, how are the lawyers involved in that process? And sort of just lean in and be eager and be curious, honestly, because that's how um, you're going to learn. And the more you can soak up, you know, I, I always say you don't have to worry about the substantive elements of what we, of, of what law firm um, lawyers do, you'll learn that on the job. But the more you can just sort of soak up, am I interested in this? Is this a, is this a field that even sounds interesting to me? It'll help you once you get to the law firm or frankly, to any job, um, just figuring out really where to dive in and, and, you know, devote your time and your energy to. So that would be my advice is to just go to those events, talk to people, even if it's hard for you, which it certainly was for me as you said, recommending to just go to everything and lean in and just be a sponge for all the information. Um, I know, especially now at Columbia Law during the one all year, it's just every week there's different events and trying to go to those. It's so great because every single time I leave and I'm like, well, this is interesting. Like this practice group sounds insane because you get to learn firsthand what that practice looks like, you know, and it's so different from what you see on a LinkedIn and what they do on the website. So thank you for, for sharing that advice. Um, Going more into, you know, how to become interested in corporate law, what to explore. I know you spoke earlier about the power of having and the 
um, how much, how helpful it has been to have executive coaches. Um, I'd be interested in learning a bit more about how that's helped you navigate your journey or any other resources that you would recommend to diverse students interested in corporate law. Executive coaches are, it's, it's not, I had heard about them, but if I'm being really honest, I didn't know what they were until pretty recently. Um, and it sort of was one of those things where it was like, in my mind, I had, I had this idea of like, you know, like a, a, a basketball coach for, or, you know, a coach that some for a team, I was like, okay, well, this is someone who isn't saying what you're doing is wrong, but is trying to give you tips give you guidance, give you different skills, maybe to do it maybe more efficiently or, or, or better. Right. So that's how I would, would characterize an executive coach. It's, it's quite similar. Um, but again, it just was very foreign to me. It's not something that I felt like people were talking about very much. Um, so I didn't really know how to get one, where they were, how to find them. Um, but through the, as I mentioned, I'm working with two. The, the first one, um, it was honestly through another friend. It's this really awesome group of women partners in various law firms um, across New York City, um, specifically focused in banking and capital markets. So it's it's women partners in those two groups. Um, and probably doesn't come as a surprise, but many of the fields in, in law firms are, are pretty male-dominated field. So it's honestly just a group of um, 12 or so women who get together quarterly. Um, and we just share. We share advice, tips. What are we seeing in the market? It's sort of creating, what I really love about it is it's creating our own avenue to um, to share and to try to give each other a leg up, right? Like there might be something that I've seen in the market or that I'm learning that maybe my friend at another law firm hasn't. And, you know, within the law firm, it might be harder to ask those questions or to feel like, you know, should I be asking this? Should I be doing this professionally or on a deal or et cetera? But when you're in this sort of safe space and it does very much feel like a safe space, it's it's really powerful, um, just frankly, to see a, a, a room full of uh, women partners uh, is, is awesome. Um, but just sharing stories, sharing tips, um, you know, again, you know, not work-life balance, but managing work and life, a lot of that comes up as well um, in that group. So I've found that to be incredibly insightful and helpful over the last couple of years. And then recently, I've started working with another coach who um, she's more focused on, um, parents, uh, and, and partners at law firms who are parents. And I'm a, I'm a new mom. I have a son who's 15 months, so maybe not as new, but it still feels pretty new to me. Um, and it's, it's like an, it's a new, it's a new challenge. Uh, and I'm always up for a challenge, but it's certainly sometimes can feel quite daunting. You know, how do I make sure that I am being the best mom I can be the mom I always sort of saw myself being in my head while also juggling an incredibly demanding job, um, which doesn't always, which isn't always super lenient for, you know, a child being sick and home from daycare. You know what I mean? It's not always forgiving in that way. So 
Um, she's been fantastic. Again, it's just, it's an, it's an opportunity to sort of say, this is where I'm at. This is where I want to be. How do I get there? What does it look like? What are are your suggestions for how, for how I can do everything that I want to do? Um, uh, and also, you know, being, being a wife, right. That is another role that, that I, um, hold very, very close to me. So factoring all of that in, um, can be challenging, right? It's not easy at all. So I, I actually find coaches to be incredibly valuable and it doesn't have to be a professional coach, right? So if you're in law school, it can be, it can be a professor that you connect with. It can be, uh, I mean, certainly if you have mentors outside of school, you should lean on them as well, but just asking for the, that guidance, the tips, the sort of life hacks, if you will, um, I think is incredibly valuable. And I found it super, super helpful, um, over the course of my career. Fascinating to hear, you know, how it's, how it's helped you. This is something, a strategy I had, you know, never known of and something I hope to apply as well. And I think as you were saying, the power of solidarity among, you know, the woman group, in addition to just the power of having someone guide and and navigate, um, help you guide and navigate your career as you make difficult decisions. And also as you occupy different roles as a mother, congratulations on, and, and as a wife and as part of a family, touching more upon that, I know myself and, and others are interested in wanting to have a family, but as you said, you know, corporate law sometimes isn't as lenient in terms of scheduling. And if, you know, someone wants to have children, it, it can be difficult. And I was wondering in your case, could you speak a bit more about navigating family life while working in corporate law? What have your strategies been to to have that balance and, and to still um, be able to spend that really valuable time with your child, but also, you know, excel in, in your work as well. My purest, honest answer is that I'm still working on it every day. And it is something that I think about all the time. And I, you know, I do check-ins with myself, you know, maybe because what I've learned as a new mom is like, there's no regular day, right? The, your kid might wake up and Maybe he had a cough all night, so he didn't sleep that well. And your morning doesn't always look the way you might want it to look. So you got to be, you got to be nimble. You got to be flexible. Um, so it, it makes me think about it all the time. You know, what can I be doing more? When can I give five extra minutes to my son? I got really good advice as a, as a very junior associate at the firm. And it's, it's to not run away from an obstacle before it's there. I think um, I was speaking to a, a woman partner at the time. Um, and she, I was, I was worried. I was like, you know, I want to be a mom. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, but I want to be a mom. I'm not sure I can do it with this job. And she wasn't at all dismissive. In fact, I found it really helpful, right? She, she you know, she, she, she just didn't want me to, to quit, honestly, before I'd even been presented with, with the obstacle, with having a kid. It wasn't even, it was many years down the line, honestly, before I had a kid. So that was helpful just sort of in reshifting. And, and, I, and I, I see a lot of young associates now with a similar mindset of like, oh, well, it's crazy right now. And down the line, I want to have a kid. So let me leave now. And, and I, I try to encourage them not to do it, um, you know, not to jump ship before you actually are dealing with it because I, I've found that once you are put in a position, whatever the obstacle may be, it's a little bit easier to navigate because you know you know what's being asked of you. It's in your face now, and it's like, okay, it's game time. Um, how can I make this all work? At least that's been helpful for me, and that's sort of how I've dealt with stuff along 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 the way. Um, 
I'd say it's definitely doable. And and frankly, the legal industry, um, law firms want more women partners and lawyers. So there is definitely, t- in, from my in in my opinion, sort of this disconnect, right? It's like the the industry wants more women and and understands the value of having women at the table. Um, but then there's this phenomenon of, well, a lot of women become moms and they're like, you know what? I can't do this. This is way too much. So there's this, this weird juxtaposition between, between, between those two things. And I think for me, I've been, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure it's easier for me, honestly, as a partner than if I were a junior associate, but I've been really frank with my other partners, with my deal teams, you know, dinner time for me is, is pretty sacred. So, um, unless, and you know, everyone, you can call my cell phone if you need me, but I think all the associates on my deals know that from six to eight, I'm probably more checked out. I'm definite six to 8 PM. I'm definitely less, um, responsive. Um, those are two hours. And again, my son's pretty little. So his schedule in the evening is pretty routine. He eats dinner. We give him a bath. And then he has a bottle and goes to bed. But that those two hours are really, really important for me. And I'm sure it will shift at the older he gets. Um, but unless there's something really critical going on, um, that that's time with with my husband and my son. And, and everyone really gets it. And frankly, I think a lot of people really respect it. Um, again, I'm you know, cognizant of the fact that it's probably easier for me to say that as a partner. But I'd, I'd say even for the associate women I know with, with young ones, they're able to carve it out too. It, it, it does take a little bit of like confidence and being able to say, you know what, I can't do the call at 6 p.m. I can do it at 8 p.m. That was hard for me to learn that I had the sort of autonomy and the, the power to say that. Um, but honestly, clients are receptive to it. Everyone is, is, is pretty, pretty fine with it. So it's just, it's getting that courage. It's carving out that time. Um, and I do think it's manageable. And I think the more women that are doing it and the more parents, frankly, too, dads that are very present dads, I think are incredibly helpful to the cause. Um, I, I think I'm hopeful we'll see more and more parents and young parents, you know, in young junior associates doing it. Um, I think that that's only going to make it easier for everyone. Thank you for, you know, being so honest and authentic in describing, you know, what that process looks like for you and learning to, you know, carve out the time that you need um, to spend time, you know, with your child and with your family for dinner. And that's something that um, I know as I look to my future, I'll definitely keep in the back of my mind. So that's really helpful. Um, I really want to talk a bit more, and I know we, we touched on this a bit in the beginning, but thinking about how your identity and your diverse perspective as a black woman partner has really, how has that informed your legal journey? Um, Particularly, how has it impacted your journey to becoming a partner? This is another one that I, I, I love the question because I, I find it really fascinating. My own, how my own perspective, I guess, has changed. Right. So as a, as a young lawyer at the firm, I probably was in the camp of overthinking things like, oh goodness, am I getting, am I getting the same caliber of deals? Did I say something, you know, that's just in, you know, I'll give you an example. I I, I tend to say 
and now it's going to sound awkward because I'm saying it, but if I say cause instead of because to me, it sticks out in my head. I hear it. And as I'm speaking, if I'm speaking to a client, I'm like, oh crap, I just said it again. Um, and everyone has those little, I wouldn't call it slang, but the, the little things that you say that might, um, might not be what you wish you would have said in the moment. Um, but I was way overthinking it. I was like, oh goodness, they're, they're going to, you know, they're going to, I'm going to have that, that, that moment where they're like, eh, you don't really belong here. You're not really cut out for it. You're not as polished. Maybe, uh, maybe that's the right way to say it. I felt like I wasn't as polished as some of my peers. Um, and I was worried. I was worried, you know, being a woman of color, being a woman <laughs> in a room, oftentimes with only men, that it, it wasn't going to work to my advantage. And I'd have to always fight 10 times harder or, uh, or what have you. What I found and what was probably true back then, but I didn't really realize it, is I view it, or at least I try to view being being a woman of color as an asset. As and, and if I come to a meeting, if I come to a deal, if I come to anything with that mindset, it really helps me, one, just in my confidence, but also I've I've seen that people do really value my perspective and they value that. I don't, I, I may not have the same experiences. I, I cert, almost certainly haven't had the same experiences as a lot of the people uh, at, at law firms. Um, and clients ha have gravitated towards it. My approach generally to my deals is I'm probably a little more on the casual side. Not that I don't, you know, draft the hell out of a credit agreement, but my approach to talking to my clients and, and opposing counsel is probably a little bit more on the casual side um, than formal. And people have really gravitated towards it. Um, associates really um, like it. It makes them feel a little bit more comfortable that they too can be themselves and you don't have to be the most polished person all of the time. Um, so I, that's a long-winded way of me saying that I um, I, I'm not naive to the fact that I'm sure it's presented me being a woman of color has presented challenges, right? Whether it was internally generated or just external forces, right? Um, being in a meeting full of, of, of men, you, um, it's harder to speak up. It's harder to, for me, it's harder for me to speak up. It's harder to make my presence known all of the time. So it certainly has had, has had its challenges and I'm sure has not made it as as easy of a career thus far, but but I I try really hard to to focus a little bit more on the positive aspect and the fact that when I am my most authentic self, that's when my clients seem to really dig me and really just be excited and interested and like listening to what I'm saying. So um, it's another one of those things where I just think it, it it has two very clear sides, and I just try to focus on the side that. That, that helps me. It helps those coming up behind me. Um, and, and I think it's true. I do think being, um, being a black woman has helped me. It has been an asset for me. Um, certainly it's had its challenges, but, but I try to focus on the fact that it's been an asset more so. It's so inspiring, as you said, that to, to view or reframe that thinking about being, you know, a woman of color and seeing that as an asset and seeing every aspect of yourself as a strength and as an opportunity to advance a perspective in the room that's not there. Um, that's something that I'm definitely really taking to heart. And I'm sure a lot of the people listening will 
as well. Um, and just being yourself in that authenticity. Um, it's really inspiring to see how you've just embraced yourself. And, and I know that's something as a woman color myself, I sometimes struggle with, you know, how do I embrace who I am and my own authentic self? And it's so powerful to hear your words. Yeah, it's, it's really hard, but it's, 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 it's hard, but I think it's super important. Um, um, yes, we want the legal field to be more diverse just as a sort of theoretical matter, but how do we actually do that? And I, I don't think we can do it if, um, you know, if, if, if diverse lawyers, if women lawyers don't feel like they can be themselves, I mean, how awful would it be if you, if you just worked every day and you never could feel like you'd be yourself? Um, so I, I think it's critical in order in, in sort of advancing the, you know, in having the legal industry catch up to society in terms of diversity. I think we have to, we have to embrace that people have different experiences. And as a result, they might speak a little bit differently, or they might um, just have a different approach to something. And that's all good stuff from my perspective. So I think it's, I think it's a really important tool that, that diverse lawyers should lean into. Mm -hmm. Speaking on that and on embracing yourself, you know, who for you are the role models that inspire you or that you look up to? Um, whether it's in the legal field or within your family, who has kind of motivated you to become, you know, the inspiring self you are today and, and to lead in your field? So I am one of three. I'm, I'm the baby. I have an oldest brother uh, and a sister that I mentioned who's, who's um, in the middle. Uh, and then we have two incredibly hardworking parents. So my, my first answer to your question is that that unit, um, we're very close. Um, my brother no longer lives in New York, but everyone else does. Um, we have always, through the thick, through the good times and the bad, when you know maybe one of my parents lost um, a job or they both were working two jobs, um, we always had jobs from as soon as we could get our working papers. So whether it was working as a summer camp counselor, um, I worked at CVS, I worked at Best Buy. We always had jobs. We always had an incredible work ethic, and it wasn't my parents forcing us to. We 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 wanted to help each other. We wanted our family to do well, and we frankly, I didn't know anything else. Right, I, my friends were also working, so it was it didn't really seem that odd to me that I had a job. Um, but now, when I talk to people and they're like, "You worked when you were 15," I'm like, "Yeah, you didn't work when you were 15." <laughs> like, that's that's more the problem. Um, so I'd say that unit, honestly, my parents are incredibly hardworking. They um, never forced us to, um, they never really forced us to, certainly never forced me to be a corporate lawyer. Um, but they did, they did instill in me a desire to do my best, whatever that was. Um, so they've been critical. My brother is... Um, one of my best friends, he's, he's not a lawyer, but he's incredibly driven, incredibly smart, um, works his butt off. So, um, and he's six years older. So he was older enough to where I looked up to him. It wasn't just a sibling. He, he did seem like sort of substantially older, um, less so now, but it felt that way as a child. And then my sister, I mean, she is, she's three years older than me. She's also a partner at a law firm. So I, I, I would be 
utterly lying <laughs> if I said that she didn't have an influence on my career. Um, but just watching her work ethic, um, watching her um, with her two sons, with her husband, she's incredibly inspiring to me. And and we're close enough in age to where we can, we we are living through a lot of things in the same time. So it's super helpful. Outside of that, um, uh, my role models, I've had some really awesome um, I'd call them sponsors. And I do think there's a difference between a mentor and a sponsor. And I don't think I knew it at the time, but, you know, before I became uh, a partner, I didn't know there were sort of people putting their own political capital behind me, right. Saying, no, like she deserves to be a partner. Um, which is pretty cool because it's partners that I didn't even necessarily knew had my back. They just, they saw something in me and they were rooting for me. So, um, there's a number of them at the firm that I am, I feel very indebted to and thankful for and having in my corner. Um, and you know, they just, they've been there for me, even in the professional moments where I'm like, Ooh, did I do something wrong? Or how would you think about this issue? Um, there's a number of people at the firm that I can go to. So I'm, I'm also very thankful for them. One thing I really want to raise and something that I think is really now becoming, especially after the pandemic, really important for me is, is self-care and finding time to integrate that um, and support myself and, you know, feel my best self despite you know, the work going on. So what are your practices for self-care and how do you manage that, you know, with your, with your career? I totally agree with you. Self-care is so important. Um, I mentioned my my sister. She and I both we are big fans of spa days. So whether we're doing it together or alone, um, we do take the time to go, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and it's hugely important. And it sort of sounds silly, but I'll tell my husband like, "Hey, I'm going to the spa. Like, you you got to leave me alone. I need a couple hours." Um, and it's just like to recharge, right? Just to to be you know, just with your own thoughts by yourself, um, taking that time for self-care is so important. The other thing, I mean, my, my husband and I, um, we both like to work out, we do different workouts, but we like to work out and we, we like to work out together. It's not like a formal date, but it's sort of a nice way that we connect. We go to the gym together, um, when we can, his office is not too far from mine in the city. Um, or even if we're at home, we have, we have a, um, you know, a small gym at home as well. So it's, it, to me, that's like a, a double win. Um, I get to spend time with him and we also really like working out whether I'm on my Peloton and he's doing something else. Um, it's really, again, it might sound silly, but that's actually really important time for us. Um, I think we both get a lot out of it. Um, and it's certainly for me, my, my time to recharge. I mean, even, even yesterday I was working on something and I was sort of having a little bit of a, a mind block in terms of what I was drafting and what I should be doing next. And I was just like, you know what, I need to go work out for a little bit. And, and I did, and it really helped me just, you know, re-energize and refocus on what I was doing. So I'm a big fan of, of, and I agree with you that the pandemic, I think has, um, made a lot of people focus on it, but it's something I, I have tried to incorporate from very early on in my career or even in law school. And before that, probably, probably, um, just taking that time. And, and I, frankly, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that it doesn't have to be a lot of time. You might only have 10 minutes. Um, I know people that just meditate for 10 minutes, read a book for 10 minutes, um, but taking that 10 minutes is super important um, for your mental health, for your for your happiness and, and everything else. So I'm a 
big supporter of it. Um, lastly, I really want to end on a note to all of our listeners who are, whether they be in law school or whether they be thinking about, you know, going to law school and applying, what is some advice you wish someone had told you at the very beginning of your legal journey before you knew you'd become, you know, a leading black woman partner at Davis Polk? What, what is, what are the words that you wish someone would have told you? One of them is probably a little bit less tangible, but, but it's to be fearless in a, in, in the sense of you have to lean and push yourself outside of your comfort zone, right? Even for me, it was, you know, speaking in front of people um, or, or frankly speaking on a conference call um, was really hard for me. But if you lean into it and rip the bandaid, if you will, it gets so much easier, so much faster. So lean into those moments. Certainly if you've given, if you're given an opportunity where whatever level you're at law school, high school, college, law firm, if you're given an opportunity and your initial reaction is like, Oh gosh, I don't think I should do that. Or I'm scared of that. Or I'm not sure I'm cut out for that. Take a breath and rethink it because that means it's probably something you should do. Um, um, whether it's just a skill you should work on or to, allow yourself to have more visibility. One of the things that I had no idea about, but, you know, when I've done trainings as a junior associate for, you know, say I was a third year associate and I was doing a training for first year associates, that was really increasing my visibility um, among partners at the firm in a way that I didn't know. But um, other partners were like, oh, who is this girl? Like, she's someone we should know. So leaning into that, even though I was utterly terrified at the time, um, I think has proven really helpful. Um, and then I'd say you just have to trust yourself even when, I mean, this sort of goes back to our conversation about imposter syndrome. It's just trust that you are here for a reason, wherever you are in your, in your career, your profession, your, your studies, you're here for a reason. Um, you have something to bring to the table. Your perspective is super valuable. So, um, don't forget that. And if you're having moments of doubt, just say, you know, just have have that moment with yourself when you're like, no, I'm here for a reason. I do have something to add. Um, and I think I, I, I mean it. And it's it's something you should all remember um, because everyone does have something unique to bring to the table. And, you know, even if you don't look or act or sound or come from the place where everyone else um, comes from or looks like, it's... Um, you are here for a reason. You deserve to be here. You're, you're working your butt off. And um, yeah, I think, I think those are the two sort of pieces of advice that I wish I had gotten that I, that I hope others um, hear and I hope it resonates with others. So thank you for, for being so authentic and sharing your honest um, in, insight and advice on, on what it really takes and, and what are the strategies um, to become a leading Black woman partner like yourself. So we really appreciate it. Thank you, Vanessa. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.